0: Today's lesson text comes from the Gospel of Mark, the 8th chapter, verses 31 through 38. I'm going to back up to verse 29, and in my studies, I actually need to go to chapter 9, verse 1. Sometimes the chapter breaks just aren't in the right spot. So hear the word of the Lord. Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he Sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about it. Then Jesus began to teach them about the fact that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Jesus said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your own minds not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life shall lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, they will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed can What can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God has come with power. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that through the words of my mouth, and the meditations of our hearts, we may bring honor and glory to you. Amen. So because of what this text deals with today, I'm going to just get my apology out of the way from the start. This is the Jesus that I really, really love. This is the tough Jesus, and I understand that. But this, this, is, these ones that make you square are the ones I really like. So if it makes you square, I'm sorry if I'm not 100% sensitive to that, as I should be. I wish I could find the source, but there was in my German studies a professor who said that One of the reasons we know so little about the Anglo-Saxon native religion was that when the Christians came and evangelized them, the Anglo-Saxons, think Vikings, Valhalla, Thor, When they heard the Gospel and the story of Jesus, they thought it was so manly that the Anglo-Saxons destroyed their own indigenous religion because they thought it made them look effeminate. And Jesus today is really going to go for that with this attitude that I think someone in his day would understand, kind of like the gladiators. We who are about to die salute you. So this is going to be a very tough Jesus compared to what the normal fare is. And it's just where we have to go with this one. So, the first thing is, in verse 30, Jesus sternly orders them not to tell anyone him being the Messiah. That almost seems to be contradicting everything Jesus is going to say next. If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Don't talk about me. almost seems like it's, it's out of place. But that's because we've been going through the whole Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, we've had these points where Jesus, in chapter one, heals a leper, tells him to be silent. He then heals... Two examples from more recent. You might remember he heals a deaf man and tells him, Be silent. And right before this confession, he heals a blind man and tells him, Be silent. Now that's because, through the Gospel of Mark, God's intent is to provide salvation through a suffering Savior who freely chooses to bear the burden of human rebellion. Now most of the time, we take that and we put it into the past. It's past tense sin. Jesus is coming to save the people of Israel from the sins they've done. Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is saving the people just as much from the sin of rejecting Him, from the sin that they are going to put onto His person. So being silent about Him being the Messiah allows Jesus to have the confrontation with those authorities that will reject Him as Messiah. And then Mark kind of pulls a switch out of that verse 31, he begins to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering. So Jesus tells them, yes, I'm the Messiah. Don't go spreading that around because they're going to hear something very different. They're going to hear that and they're going to think about the Messiah who comes as the warrior king to kill all the Romans and, and lead a political revolt. But the phrase Son of Man in Semitic studies a humble reference to I. So Jesus is saying, I must undergo great suffering. But more than just being a humble reference to oneself, it's also a reference to one who is humiliated, in danger, or in some other ways, harmed. So Jesus is saying, I, being harmed, must undergo great suffering rejected by the elders. And this ties into that silence. Jesus is going to be silent. Like the scripture says, like a lamb before the shears, as all this happens to him. Jesus isn't going to stick up his hand and go, hey, wait, stop, you shouldn't be doing this. But he's going to submit to the suffering that God has called him to do. Now this pulls very heavily from Isaiah 53, what his pastors call the faith gospel, where the prophet says there shall be a suffering servant that delivers the people from sins. So the key point is that the opposition and rejection of Jesus by Israel's leaders is necessary to get to the point of verse 9, the kingdom of God has come with power. Jesus is saying that the will of God is that he shall submit to the cross, he shall submit to destruction, that shall be enacted by his enemies, and it's only by that final appeal to God and the resurrection that Jesus shall be vindicated. And this teaching is, is different than anything we've gotten in Mark so far, because in verse 32, Mark makes a point of saying, he said all this quite openly. Up until now in Mark, Jesus has been very kind of dodgy. He's talked about the gospel of Repentance of the kingdom of God. This is the first time Jesus is is tying those two together But he's also making a prophecy about how that's going to work I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. The Messiah must suffer to save the people And Peter can't stand it We get to verse 33 turning looking Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him That word rebuke is the same word Mark uses for casting out demons. If the Pharisees had come to Jesus and said, oh, you're casting out demons with demons, Peter is almost here and we see in the manuscript evidence that some scribes didn't even like the way it was worded. We have a couple of uh, examples of text where they tried to soften it out, but Jesus is Peter is almost here accusing Jesus of the same thing. Lord, for that it should ever be the cross. I rebuke you. You cannot do that, Jesus. And Peter's the one who says it, but all the other disciples have to be thinking it. And the popular thinking we looked at 1 Samuel a year and a half ago, so I'll remind of it. When Samuel is rejected by the people because they want a king, God comforts Samuel by saying they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They rejected me. And this king is just going to ride them hard and make their life miserable. And that same tendency had happened to him in Jesus' day. The tradition of, of first century Jewish thinking on the Messiah was that the King Messiah would deliver the people. But all that suffering servant stuff, that was about the regular Jews. That was about the normal people. The normal people would have suffering. King Messiah would come and relieve their suffering. Peter couldn't understand that the King Messiah himself would suffer to redeem the people. And Jesus cannot let that stand. It's 33. Turning and looking at his disciples. Jesus knows they're all thinking it. He rebuked Peter. Again, the word for exorcism. And said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus is upholding the fact that God's plan is the cross. It's a temptation here that Peter is putting out that would, that is Satan acting, trying to thwart that very plan of how God is going to bring about salvation. So, Peter is speaking in a fully human sense, and his unregenerate nature, and Satan is here speaking in towards Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you really don't need to take the cross. You can take the high road. You don't need to suffer to redeem the people. And Jesus rightly sees it, calls it out of Peter, and tells him to get back into the fold. And you'll notice Jesus here doesn't justify and man. He doesn't tell Peter, well, this is why it has to be that way. I understand, Peter, that this is hard for you to understand or anything. Jesus just reaffirms that this is God's plan and that's the way it is. I'm set your mind not on divine things but on human things. So that's how the disciples have to deal with this story of the cross. And, and it's a bit of a leadership thing, but now Mark's going to get really, really personal. And this is why I, I put a bit of an apology on the front of this one. Because verse 34, he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers. So Mark has had Jesus speak openly for the very first time to the disciples. Now Mark makes a narrative move to call in a crowd in the middle of nowhere, indicating that this is a very open statement, and to just drive it home, Jesus doesn't say, if any want to become my disciples, or have some sort of office in the church no if you want to just be my follower if you want to like follow me on instagram bro you've got to get this so this one gets very broad and it has to go to all of us if anyone become my followers let them deny themselves take up their cross and follow me now bearing the cross has become a nice little polite saying you tell people when they're sick in christian dumb Christianity. It's become Church of East. Well, I must bear the cross of this temptation. When Jesus was saying this to a first century audience, this was a equivalent statement of a death march to the gallows to get your neck wrung out. It's a gross image. For Jesus, it would very soon become a real image, and for Mark's first century audience, who is 300 years away from Christianity becoming legal, It was something that they probably had experienced in their friends, their family, and themselves, very likely. Jesus is telling the people that you have to go to try to put it into our terms. You're going to have to sit down in old Sparky, face that electric chair. If we were going to put it into American terms, that could be a noose. Very shocking image. And Jesus tells them to carry the cross because they must suffer with the Messiah to be glorified with him. See, Peter couldn't get past Jesus having to suffer to save the people from their sins. And Mark here is pointing out to all of our hearts that well, okay, we're Christians, we understand that Jesus must suffer (laughs) and be resurrected to pay for our sins. Mark is making it very clear here, though, that if you are going to identify with that Messiah, your life is going to have to have the same shape. That you are going to have to suffer the rejection, the humiliation, the judgment of religious leaders and everyone else, even to the point of death, if you are going to be glorified with Jesus So Jesus, in verse 35, points out where his calculus lies. Those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, making it solely in relation to him, that's the crux, will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and to forfeit their life? So Jesus points out that dying doesn't compensate you for getting everything you ever wanted in life. It's really hard to cash that lottery ticket if you get hit by a bus. (laughs) Don't go jumping out in front of the bus for a lottery ticket. We understand that in this life, life itself is the most valuable asset that we have. And Jesus is pointing out here in this section of the passage that approval of the world. That the treasures, the idols, and everything else is not worth the loss that would be incurred by the disciples if they turned away from Jesus and identifying with him. So if it's done to run in front of a bus to grab a million dollar lottery ticket, Jesus points out, indeed what can they give in return for their life? What would you give in return for your eternal life? Is where Jesus is going in that speak about the soul and the life ever after. I'm sure those in the crowd had to be aware also in the first century of just how fleeting this first life is. Moving on. We get to 38, which is probably the hardest bit. Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of whom the Son of Man will be ashamed of when he comes in the glory of the Father of holy angels. So adulterous and sinful generation is prophetic shorthand for a world that approves being unfaithful to God, to a world that approves sin and approves unrighteousness and That approval of the adulterous and wicked generation would be shown by any disciple that denies Christ. Saying, oh no, Christ is not of God. What he's doing is evil. That would appease the world. And that was a decision that people in Mark's world that he's writing this gospel to very much had to make. Pray to Caesar or pray to Jesus. But I'm going to go straight to application on this one because I don't want to leave it just on the question of apostasy. Jesus and, and the way Mark writes it here, with those who are ashamed of me, his person of Savior, his function of Savior, but also his words. There are two different ways that this has crept into the church. The first is that there is a lot of debates nowadays that date back to Marcy. He was a heretic from the 3rd century that didn't like any of the Old Testament. Well, my friends, Jesus in his not one dot or iota, of the law shall pass away makes a pretty explicit statement of where he stands and there are debates going on about whether Jesus said something implicitly about a specific said something explicitly about a specific topic if he named it and said something that you can go through a concordance look it up in a dictionary and there it is but what Jesus is here saying is implicit to all that is this viewpoint That if that comes from being ashamed of Christ, of thinking that his ways are old fashioned, or that he's just a first century Jew who doesn't quite understand our modern way of thinking, then you are ashamed of Christ and his words. That also gets to how we live our lives and our witness. Can we really as Christians, if we're asked, are you a Christian? Say no. And we say, well, yeah. You know, I, I go to church, but, but I'm not sure I, I, I believe in this, that, or the other thing. Jesus has very little patience here. Like I said, this is one of the, the hardest passages. Mark's going to set this up and move from it. Because Jesus is very much here saying, you're on the bus or you're off the bus. And like I said, this is why I love the guy so much. This is someone who is standing there as a leader, who knows what God's will is, and he is going to do it. And if Peter gets out of line, Peter gets back on the mission. If somebody stands in the way of working out that wonderful salvation, of uh, Jesus bearing that cross and saving the people, Jesus ain't gonna hear it. And I think we can look at this and we can see these words of Jesus saying, I'll be ashamed of you, as uh, if you're ashamed of me, then get out as some sort of rejection. But what it really is, is Jesus is saying, Get with the program, people. The point is not to make every single person that has ever existed happy with some sort of hacked-down Jesus. That's what destroyed the churches in the 19th century. Well, you know, Jesus did these miracles, but a lot of people don't necessarily believe in miracles, so let's try to save a Jesus that doesn't do any miracles. Or you'll see it even now today. Jesus speaks about the resurrection. Well, I'm not sure Jesus was really resurrected, so I have to try to pull up some hobble together, concocted Jesus, to get rid of the parts of Jesus that I don't like. Well, there's a warning in here for that. Because <laughs> who's ever ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation? So if you're giving in to unbelief, if you're trying to compromise with people who are confronted by God's word and just don't like it, Hear what Jesus says next, Among the Son of Man will be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. It would be a terrible thing to stand in front of Christ's return, the whole heavenly court arraigned together, and to hear Jesus turn to you, O disciple, and say, a promise attached to this. Julia. I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Now, we live on the other side of dispensationalism and a couple other things, but for Mark this identification of Jesus with the kingdom has now become absolute. Jesus' presence is the kingdom. The millennium is Christ in Mark and in his usage. And Jesus is telling his disciples, this sounds tough. Peter's not even going to understand it himself. He's going to deny Christ three times. So don't think that this is one of those things where I'm saying you make this mistake once you're not coming back. But this one is going to be something that tries and churns us and tests us. The metaphor Jesus uses for Peter is sifted like sand by the devil. But what these disciples will see is the resurrected glory of Christ in return for their That's also the promise to us today. We have preached the other gospels with the parallels in it. And in Luke, we have the promise that those who are ashamed of me and my words, yes, but also those who acknowledge me, I shall acknowledge in front of my Father. So Jesus is now and Mark, as the Gospel, is going to turn fully on Jesus revealed as the Messiah. Next week we're going to get to the Transfiguration, where Jesus, after this statement, immediately takes them up on the hill and reveals the glory, because he's got to put some power behind this one. Because this is not, this is no longer the, the kiddie father stuff. This is Mark's equivalent of that section in John, where Jesus says, unless you eat my, my flesh and drink my blood, and everybody goes ew and walks away mark is here saying jesus requires the absolute dedication if it's not worth anything in the world to give up your life then that absolute dedication to christ must override everything in the world be it approval be it people thinking you are intelligent People thinking that you're a good person, you must bear that cross with Christ. So Peter starts being unable to even give the cross to Christ. And Christ is now turning, giving the cross to Peter. And Mark being in church tradition, the preservation of Peter's Gospel. That Peter preached himself. We have that interesting anecdote, true or not, of Peter refusing to be crucified in the same position as Christ. So I think here we have the heart of that disciple coming through. The heart of the disciple who was ashamed of Jesus. Who, when he ran to that empty tomb, knew deep down in himself that before that cock crowed three times, he had denied Christ. I think that for us is the gospel and application in here. Jesus is making an absolute demand and I cannot soften it. But we know from the author and that life, that falling short of this demand is going to get you to get behind me, say It's never going to get softened. The falling short of that demand is not an absolute rejection. So we must walk with Tend your feet on this one. I don't want to say that you be ashamed of Jesus if you're cool. (laughs) But I don't want someone who has failed this one to not take the rest of the Gospel. That Peter himself was restored. But I would say that if you find yourself failing this one, being ashamed of Jesus, how Peter is restored in John is, is informative. Witnessing about Christ. Sharing our faith with our neighbors is how most people normally take this. And when Peter is restored by Christ, he's given the command three times, If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Brothers and sisters, if you've been ashamed of Christ, witness and feed his sheep. Let's pray.